need a studio so we don't have to come to Clearport. Clearport, whatever this is. Okay. That would be fantastic. You could come to your studio for All the right. interview, right? All right. Okay, ready? Jay, you ready? All right, Miss Lee, you ready to do this? Yeah. Okay. Welcome back, people. We are Fortitude. I'm your host, Gary Wilson, with my co-host, Brenton Payne. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we are available on social media at Fortitude FW. Please check us out. Brenton, we both love doing this show. Fair to say? Uh, depends on what day. If you're nice to me before it, yes. Yes, of course. We strive to bring in guests, interesting people all the time with a useful message to share. Today, we have in studio someone who spent her life fighting for the noblest of causes. And in turn, she's become the voice for many people. Her mission has brought out a real and measurable change to our city, our state, and our country. So without getting, today's, there's no, there's no silliness to intro, intro the guest. We're gonna get right to our guest and her name, ladies and gentlemen, Miss Opal Lee. Thank you for joining us. And thank you for having me. Thanks you, for being here. You are a very, very special woman to a lot of people, the two of us included. Uh, you deserve our unwavering gratitude and support. You are the voice of history, and you are the message for the future. So we're thankful for your time, and without further ado, we'd like to, dr to jump right into your history, if you let us. I will. <laughs> okay, great. So you were born October 7th, 1926, in Marshall, Texas. That makes you 95 years young. Yes, can you tell us about, well, not, you clearly probably don't remember being born, but what it was like growing up there at the, before you moved here? Well, I'd have to go farther back than that. Okay. You see, my mother uh, was born perhaps in uh, mm, Louisiana, and her father and four brothers and sisters, I guess, migrated to Texarkana, Arkansas. That's where I remember my grandparents, the Reverend Z, brought us for Zachary, and my grandmother, Maddie, brought us. My mother was named Maddie. So when my Uncle Z asked Grandpa to let him go away to Marshall to Bishop College, my grandfather consented. But my mom and that brother were very close. And she wanted to go too, but my grandfather said no. And he said it repeatedly. And finally my mother says, so if I can't go to Marshall to school at Bishop with my brother Z, I'm gonna marry Judge Dunbar. And he was the doofus in the neighborhood. <laughs> my grandpa consented. But my mother and my uncle didn't have enough school to schooling to go to um, Bishop College, so they went to Central High School. I'm telling you this because my mom met my dad at Central High, and he asked her to marry him, and she says, "You got to ask Papa." Uh oh. Just like you know. Mm -hmm. Well, my grandparents had to go to Marshall in a wagon to get my mom because she got sick at school. And my dad followed them home to Texarkana and asked my grandfather if he could marry him. Now, my grandfather was mischievous. 
And he said to him, are you sure you want this sicken? As if he had some others he could, mm-hmm. you know, choose from. Mm-hmm. He gave his consent. <clears throat> but my mother says she wouldn't marry my dad until he built her a house like the house she had seen at Tuskegee Institute when she went with a 4-H club group. So she drew what she wanted and gave it to my dad. She didn't hear from him for two years. He came back and told her he'd built that house. Wow. So I'm the first Isha from that marriage. Wow. I had brothers, two brothers. But Marshall, until maybe I was nine or ten, was ideal. I never knew what a word person looked like. Um, There was the L.B. Price man that would come in his car and sell things to the people in our neighborhood. I guess he was white. And then there were the Marantos who had the grocery store that we went to. But we didn't think of them as white either. I think we called them Italians. Mm -hmm. Well... You know, the depression came. My dad lost his job that he had at Fry Hard's drugstore. And he left home, coming to Fort Worth, to find work. And he was going to send for his family. But he never got around to it. Meanwhile, that house had burned And we were living in a shotgun house that had been built on the back of the property. My mom sold all the hogs. We didn't have but one hog. And the chickens and the cows and the pigeons and everything else for train fare for us to come to Fort Worth. Well, if we came on Saturday, my mom went to work for somebody in somebody's kitchen on Sunday. And we lived with the Tallies, Mr. and Mrs. Tally, and their two children who lived in service. And that was a building behind this huge house that had been somebody's home that they had turned into a medical library. El Paso Street and Ballinger Street on the west side of Fort Worth. Mm-hmm. And I was able to go to school at Cooper Street School. They built that school on a city dump. We only stayed in that neighborhood about six weeks because my dad, Mr. Talley, let my dad know we were in town. My parents got together and we moved to the south side. And that was a change of schools. I went to Gwen School. Um, what happened when you were 12 years old, Opal? My parents bought a house. My parents bought a house at Annie and New York Street. And would you believe on the 19th day of June, the paper said some 500 people didn't want us in the neighborhood. My dad came with a gun 
And the police who were there, and the paper says the police couldn't control the crowd, couldn't control this mob. The police told my dad if he busted a cap with that gun, that they'd let the mob have us. Our parents sent us to friends that were several blocks away, and they left under cover of darkness, but those people tore up that furniture and burned it and did some terrible things. My parents never, ever spoke to the three of us about it. Never, ever. But they worked real hard, and they bought another house. That's the one I, 926 East Terrell, and I graduated from high school there. Yes, ma'am. Would you believe <clears throat> I graduated at 16, and my mom had, oh, she had planned to send me back to Marshall to Wiley College. It's Wiley University now. Oh, she was so proud of me because mm. I would have been the first grandchild of her 18 brothers and sisters that go to college. But I got married. Oh, she was so disappointed. She wouldn't even go to the wedding. Well, it took me four years and four babies to realize I was going to have to raise my husband to, you know, men don't, they don't mature as fast as women. What? We, we've heard that. No. <laughs> well, let me tell you, I cut my losses and went home to my mom with four children and had nerve enough to say, I'm ready to go to college now. And she says, I've got no money to send you to nobody's college. And in the next breath, she says, I'll keep your children. Oh, I worked like a Trojan to get the money to go to college in the fall. And guess what I did? Mm. I spent the money. I bought the kids a television so she wouldn't have to run all over the neighborhood after them. And I went to that school without a dime. Mind you, I didn't quit my job in Fort Worth because I didn't know what the situation was going to be. But they gave me a job in the college bookstore. And I was able to come back to Fort Worth on weekends. My mom kept the job all the week. And she collected the paycheck. Nobody knew the difference. We all look alike. But I'd go back. I'd be so tired on Monday. But I got through in three and a half years. I couldn't stay down there four years. I came to Fort Worth. <clears throat> I got a teaching job. But do you know they only paid $2,000 a year? And I got four kids. Oof. Can't feed four kids on no two thousand dollars. I got another job, and so if I clocked in at school at eight, clocked out at three, there'd be a car waiting for me. I clock in at four, and out at twelve at Convair. It's called Lockheed Martin now. Mm -hmm. I guess I'd still be doing that, but um, 
they lo- laid off a bunch of people at the plant. What was your job at Convair? I was made. No big deal. You know. When would you sleep? <laughs> Who needed sleep when you got four kids to be fed? <laughs> yes, ma'am. So you'd come back from Convair and you'd get, I mean, one o'clock in the morning probably, right? Yeah. yeah. But a back few at hours, it again? Yeah. <clears throat> um, I taught third grade so long, maybe 10 years. Mm-hmm. I was beginning to act like the eight-year-old, so they gave me another position. I was called a visiting teacher. It was really social work. Mm-hmm. Um, kids out of school, I had to find out why. No shoes, buy some clothes, food, lights off, no place to stay. These were things that I was responsible for alleviating. Mm. And when I retired, those things followed me. People still needed food. And so with a group of people, we started a food bank and it burned. And so there's this huge building behind my house that's up for sale for $1.3 million. And I asked for it, you know. And they said they would lease it to us for $4,000 a month. And I asked, well, we get $4,000 a month. But we paid it 11 months. And the month we didn't have the money, those people came to us and says, you seem to be doing a good job. We're serving 500 people a day. So they said, we're going to give it to you. And they gave us that $1.3 million bill, 20,000 square feet of freezer space, the largest in Tarrant County. And so it's still servicing like 500 families a day. And I polled people standing in line, and 66 of them said they would like to farm. I asked the Trinity River Authority for the use of some land, and they let us have 13 acres of land on the Trinity River where there's water, and we got pumps, and we share. We got the best best farm manager in all of Texas. I'm here to tell you he is. And so... He gives produce to the food bank and to the WIC program, and then he takes produce to the market, the, the, the farmer's market. And the, we think in the program, we tried to concentrate on the people that I had polled and talked to them about well, the ones who had been incarcerated and couldn't find a job. And we thought if we taught them, and I, this was not, this was paid. They were to get paid to learn to farm. And, you know, people have the concept that farming's just throwing out some seeds, but there's a hell of a lot to farming. And if they learned farming, then they were to get certified by one of the colleges or universities. 
and that they would be able to teach people. And with the pandemic, we felt like they needed to, people needed to learn how to grow food in their backyards and on the vacant lots. Mm-hmm. We are still trying to find the money to pay each of these people a living wage. They're not volunteer. So that's where we are at this point. If we could rewind your life just a little bit, <clears throat> do you remember the time in your life when you realized that you wanted to do something about the racial inequities, the inequalities, the racial division? Is there a time in your life when you decided you wanted to do something about it? I, uh, I just don't know when it happened because all kinds of people needed help, you know? And I just got to thinking one time, I was old as dirt, 89 years old, and I got my pastor and, and school board member and a county commission and the musicians at the church, and they gave me this send-off because I decided... If an old lady's walking from Fort Worth to Washington, D.C., somebody ought to take notice. And so I started out doing two and a half miles to symbolize that in Texas, the enslaved didn't know they were free for two and a half years after the emancipation. And I left that church and walked the two and a half miles, and the next day I didn't two and a half miles. I did several hundred miles before my team decided that that wasn't going to be the way I do it because somebody had promised us an RV and they reneged. They decided what I was doing was too cotton-picking political. (laughs) Political. And so my team said I'd only... I'd only go where I was invited, perhaps by cities or towns that had Juneteenth celebrations. Well, I was invited all over these United States. I mean, Shreveport and Texarkana and Little Rock and Denver and St. Louis and um, Chicago. Atlanta, I was all over the place. And so we had started a petition and we took a million five hundred thousand signatures to Congress. And we were prepared to prepared to do that again when we Dion got the call like on Thursday to, for us to go to the White House. Mm. Oh, wow. Who calls you in that regard? Who called? Who called you to invite you? Well, I think it was the President of the United States. I didn't answer the call. It wasn't (laughs) my call, but I met him. Do you know the President signed that bill into law? And now Juneteenth is a national holiday. I was so proud, so glad, so happy. I was willing to do a holy dance, except 
When I did one time, the kids said I was twerking. <laughs> yeah. You remember that picture right there? Yes, indeed. That's that's the picture that everybody knows from you. And guess what I got? I got that pen in my hand that he signed the bill with. And do you know, I didn't put it in a vault, but it's going to go in a museum and soon to. I believe that's accurate. What did, what did President Biden say to you? Hey, Oprah. what he said, I'm not telling anybody. I'm keeping something to myself. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Who else was at this, serv- this service that... Um, oh, listen, my granddaughter Dion and that lady right there is from Texas and she is a state There's another picture of it. There's a couple more folks. Oh, who was that? It, it wasn't Eddie Bernice Johnson. What's her name? Barbara Lee. Yes. No, no. Okay. Okay. That's who that was, but oh, and look at that. There's Camilla, and and I think my own state representative was there. Mm-hmm. All these beautiful people. I, I'm I'm just delighted. I'm still on cloud nine. Well, you should be. You describe yourself, Opal, as a little old lady getting in everybody else's business, which we love because <laughs> you certainly did that. Um, what does it feel like to be called the grandmother of Juneteenth? Hey, I don't mind being called grandmother because I've got grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and great-great-grandchildren. And so my shoulders are broad. I'll take on anybody's young and that'll come. <laughs> what do you think happened to you? I mean, obviously you've experienced so many things, but what is it that got you up? each day to do this. I mean, you're different, right? You, you did it. A lot of people probably had these thoughts, but they haven't done it. What is it that, that it was with you? I don't know, except it must be in my DNA. I've seen my grandparents go through, I don't know how many things, but they persevered. My mother, oh, that was an angel. And she did so much with so little for so long. But a lot of times we thought she was doing something with nothing at all. She did. So I think it's a part of my DNA. You just don't stop. If you've got something you need to do, you do it. If there are obstacles in the way, you move them or you wait until they dissolve. But you don't give up on what you're doing. You just don't. Yes, ma'am. I think I know the answer, Opal, but are, are you done yet? You have more to go? Oh, listen. I thought you never asked. <laughs> we have got to tackle the education system. I think the governor is talking about not talking about what happened ages and ages ago, but we must. We must get it out of our systems. Hello. We must heal from it and get on to this business of making this the best country in the whole wide world. And we can't deny our history. There's no way we can do it. And I think it's ridiculous tearing down statues and going on. We just need to get the kids. I've written a book. Oop, have you seen it's it? It's right there, yes. Yeah, called uh, Juneteenth for Children. So the children will know what happened. So it doesn't happen again. This is the reason why we must teach people that. Oh, How was the book writing experience for you? 
say that again. How was the book writing experience for you? Oh, listen, I'm not a writer who sits down with the, I think about something, I put it in the cotton picking fold, and after a while I'll expand on it. I got another book. It's called 1619. You ever heard of 1619 where the very first Africans made it to the shores of America? Mm. Okay. What happened was a slave ship was attacked by pirates. Okay? And they took off slaves. Well, extra cargo, they ran out of provisions. So they landed up around Virginia and traded slaves for provision. It was two of those uh, pirate ships. And those are the first people, craftsmen, who built up that part of the United States. Mm. You're writing a book about this? Yep. Very good. Yep. If we could step back in your life, um, the date April 4th, 1968. Remember this day? That's the day that Dr. King was assassinated. You were 42 years old. What do you remember about that moment in time? Oh. And how did that affect you? Well, it, it just was so devastating that when we have a champion and we feel we are on a road to making progress, people are listening, then something happens as devastating as that. And so it was like a setback. What are we going to do now? Who's going to take up the banner? Those were the thoughts I had. Mm -hmm. Uh, There have been marches. And they're still marching. And there have been people uh, who have tried. And I'd like to think that things are better than they were. But we've got a hell of a long way to go. And I just hope people will understand that working together will get us down the road faster. And people aren't supposed to be afraid. People in this day and time were not responsible for what happened then, and they ought not to feel guilty about it. Mm -hmm. Let's get busy and tackle our education system and give the children the truth so we can heal from it. Have I said that already? Nope. You can't well, say it enough either, okay? <laughs> but I just know that I'm hoping that people will understand that education is our key to getting over to everybody, that we are one nation. I advocate celebrating from the 19th of June to the 4th of July. You know, we were free on the 4th of July. If we go to celebrate and have things like we do at our celebration, 
that teaches something, mm-hmm. you know. It's just not frivolity. I mean, a festival, yes, but there have got to be things that you teach people. Get them to understand that there's so much we need to do. I, I don't know if I'm pre- preaching to the choir, but I hope somebody listens. Well, Opal, on that same thought process, uh, when you look across this desk and you see two white men mm-hmm. who uh, you very strongly support what you're doing and what you have done and believe in what you're doing, mm-hmm. what advice would you give to somebody that looks like us in, in this regard? How can we be a, a facilitator of change? Every chance you get, and you know people who aren't on the same page you are on, it's your responsibility. I, I tell people, it's a, a me thing when I say that. Each one of us is responsible for changing somebody's mind, and it can be done. I know I've changed minds, and so I'm saying, make it your responsibility to change people so they in turn can change people. If we took a million five hundred thousand signatures to Congress and we were prepared to do that, just think three million people on the same page, we could change the cotton picking world if we you know stayed together. I just believe that we can get so much more done. Do you think um did you ever talk to your brothers and sisters about what happened on that with that mob? I only had two brothers. Your two brothers? Mm -hmm. No, we didn't discuss it. I I don't know where the, it was fear or that our parents had in them the desire to keep working until we get another home. And that was the focus. We, We didn't, we just didn't dwell on it. Do you think that, affected the outcomes and all the things that you did in your life by not talking about it? I don't know. Maybe I should have. Uh, You know, I wasn't so traumatized that it made me afraid of people or whites. No, I just don't know. You know, subconsciously, maybe it's why Juneteenth is a passion. Mm -hmm. But uh, hey, let's get it on, fellas. (laughs) White or not. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. Opal, how many how many presidents have you had audience with besides President Biden? You've met other presidents? Yes, I have. I met President Obama. Um, I met, uh, what is the president from Arkansas? President Clinton. Clinton. I met President Clinton and President Johnson. Yeah, I've met a few presidents in my <laughs> lifetime. Do you, have a, do you have a favorite? Not really. Uh, you know, whenever the boy's in office, I'm with him all the way. And I was with those presidents. And now that President Biden is the president, <sighs> he's my boy. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> well, uh, we always end the show uh, by asking, um, with family aside, what somebody's the best day of their life has been. And you can't, you can't do weddings and kids and all that stuff. We try to do it on this. So no, I know it's got, we do that to make it more difficult. So 
what would be the best day of your life to this? This you know, point, you got a lot more in you, but oh, listen, uh, just being able to talk to people and change their minds, and I've done that person to person, and to see them do a oh. I didn't know it was like that. <laughs> I get a kick out of it. I do. And I do it as often as I can. That's great. Is once that once the bill was signed in Washington, the, the Juneteenth bill, did, did you celebrate that night with how, And would, nobody saw me do the holy dance. You hear nobody saw me do it, so <laughs> they couldn't say I was twerking. <laughs> Very nice. Opal, uh, it's been a true privilege for Brenton and I to speak with you today. We appreciate and we love what you've done and what you're doing. Keep going. 95 years young. you got a lot more work to do, but we wouldn't be here without you. So Listen, bless I, you. If I could tell you about the things that need to be done. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> we, we, we. Listen, climate change, that's our responsibility. If we don't do something about it, we all going to hell in a handbasket. You know what? Fair. Yeah, we are. And 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 health care where some of us can get it and some of us can't. And that pipeline from the school to the prison, we've got to stop that. There's so much else that needs to be addressed. And you know, I'm I'm glad you had me, but I could talk to you for hours. Good. Well, we'd love to have you back sometime, Opal, because you meet, you meet a lot to a lot of people. So thank you for, for sharing with us. Thank you for letting me. Thank yes, you. Uh-huh.